Hello and welcome to the Pirates Podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. My name is Alex Stumpf. I'm flying solo this week. I've been on the the West Coast for the whole week. Eddie Provident, my normal co-host, he's still in Pittsburgh. I'm out here first to cover the Dodgers series, then to uh, catch the beginning of the Diamondbacks series, the final series before the first half. And more importantly, where I'm heading to tomorrow morning or today, actually, is to Seattle for the All-Star game, the Futures game, and yes, the one topic we're going to be talking about to start today, the MLB draft. The Pirates are on the clock. We are going to know who their first overall pick is Sunday. After months of speculation and what's who they got to take, what are they interested in, we're finally going to get an answer. But as I'm recording this here <laughs> on a Friday night in Phoenix, Arizona, we still don't know for sure. We've got a very short list of guys who have been connected to them up top. And the two that people have talked about throughout this whole college season are Skeens and Cruz. Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens. Dylan Cruz, widely regarded to be one of the best position player prospects that has come through the draft in some time. Paul Skeens, same thing, except for pitcher. There can be some hyperbole thrown in there. I've covered these guys already for DK Pittsburgh Sports. I have another piece coming out soon for it. Go read them out. <laughs> Go read them whenever we go in there so you're going to get a better feel for them. But I, I just want to focus on those two players in particular to start this because I feel like any discussion of the Pirates potentially taking someone else besides one of those two, it devolves so quickly. And that's A, not fair to those two players, and it's not fair to the Pirates. This is a very important pick. They absolutely have to vet everyone. They absolutely have to explore all those options. And while Cruz and Skeens have been the two that have gotten the most attention this entire time, it is not as simple as it's going to be one of those two. It's never been that simple. Honestly, the player I've heard the most about, you know, connection-wise, has been Max Clark, the top prep player in the country. That doesn't mean they're going to take him, but they sure did a lot of homework on him. Langford is someone who the Pirates have been connected to. I believe... I, 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 get, I get emails about who, you know, are betting favorites, you know, unsolicited, whatever. And I, I know one of them said that Langford was the now betting favorite to be the number one overall pick. I, I think that's an interesting turn of events. But he's also a very highly regarded outfielder. He's also this really top player. We, we've heard Walter Jenkins, I, Walker Jenkins, I'm sorry, Walker Jenkins, you know, connected. I, I don't... I'd be surprised if it's him unless he signs ridiculously under slot and they can just throw that money around everywhere. But this pick is first and foremost. I don't want to bury it here. It's getting the best player that you can for this organization. It's getting someone that you think is going to help this organization in the long term. 
That's the most important part of this pick. That said, it's not just about one player. It's about a whole draft. It's about how this is the third largest bonus pool that a team has had under these new rules. There is an opportunity there. And not to say just straight up, you can't take crews or skeins if they want, you know, slot money or over slot money as has been reported in Cruz's case. You know, that doesn't mean that they should be disqualified or anything. It's something that does need to be taken into consideration because you're not just drafting one player. Baseball is not just about one player, whenever it comes to farm systems, whenever it comes to drafting, whenever it comes to developments, there has to be some sort of safety in numbers that comes with the product. That comes with the development that comes with what type of players are you acquiring? Which is why to add, to answer the question that I've titled this one, what if the pick is not an LLCU player? I will answer that and say, it shouldn't be a cause for concern. You shouldn't be hitting the red button right then and there just because if they take someone besides Cruz or Skeens. And it could be one of those two. I, I, I just want to throw it out here because we heard the same thing for a lot of 2021. That there were two pitchers, Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter, and how could you possibly pick either one of them? Those were the two big prospects. They are the preordained one and two picks. That's who you should go. But guess what? Rocker is at Tommy John. He's not as, and he wasn't as you know widely regarded a prospect before then. Jack Leiter has struggled in, in minor league baseball at some point. And that's kind of the point of it all that you don't know for sure. I think Skeens is a better pitcher than either Rocker or Leiter. But just so much of the conversation, having it devolve away from, uh, from, you know, what do you mean you're not taking Rocker? What do you mean you're not taking Leiter? And then later, it's like, what do you mean you're not taking one of these high school shortstops and you're taking Henry Davis? Henry Davis is up in the majors and he looks like he's going to be a good big league hitter for a long time. We're seeing him play right field. He finally got to catch a little bit for the first time on Friday in a major league game. There's some opportunities there. He is a good major league player. And you know what else they got with that draft? They got Anthony Salamedo, who's considered top 100. They've got a top 10 organizational prospect in Bubba Chandler. If you haven't gotten off the Lonnie White, you know, trade, hype trade, like he's playing in Bradenton right now. So there are good things that came from that draft. Henry Davis was at the top of the board. Like, we're not saying that the Pirates, you know, stretched and took the number four guy. Henry Davis was at the top of their board. But what they were able to do with that draft, because they took Henry Davis, that's important. That's something that needs to be considered whenever you, whenever you have this pick right here. It's not as simple as you, you have to go over under slot. It's not you have to spread the money around, but it is a factor in all of this. And I think it's something that, kind of has been lost as we have this tunnel vision of two very talented i don't want to you know undersell them you know two very talented prospects but they're they're not the only two talented prospects i've heard max clark from from a league source that they thought max clark was further along than jackson holiday was last year jackson holiday was the number one overall draft pick last year so it's not like you're throwing the pick away if you go with him 
Langford is someone who I have been told has arguably better hit or power tools than Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz might be the better overall player, but if you're looking for a header, might be Langford in the grand scheme of things. There are options. It's not just be all end all. It's this one guy. And I think that's something that's kind of been lost throughout some of this process. We're going to know for sure on Sunday. And we're going to know what they do the rest of this draft. If, if this is, you know, they heavily invest in the first pick and they just get, you know, a regular second or third round pick. Do they go a little wonder slot and they try to get those three or four extra no first round type picks like they did in 2021. We're going to know a whole lot more. This year has been very up and down for the Pirates, and right now they're on a down. They're 40 and 48 at the moment, and those playoff hopes that they had at the end of April are really starting to dwindle right now. But they are in a position that they probably aren't going to be picking this high again anytime soon. So you got to nail this pick. This is quite possibly the most important decision in the Ben Charrington era that he has had to make outside of like, you know, find a manager and, and Travis Williams, like hire Ben, like this is quite possibly the biggest pick, maybe even more than 2021. Because this is a farm system that while most of these guys are starting to graduate is falling behind. This is a golden opportunity to restock, and it could be one or two big players. It could be four or five, you know, but maybe not as high quality. We're going to find out this is it for the draft. <laughs> this is it for the draft. We're so close to being done with speculation and actually having answers and being able to go into scouting reports and what does this guy do well? What does this guy need to improve on? We're almost done. We almost have answers here. So. I'm looking forward to the answers instead of just speculation on a couple guys here. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. to the Pirates podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Recording late here on the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, Connor Williams, I am up late. You are too. Appreciate you guys hanging out here who watch these live on YouTube or Facebook whenever we put them up. So even on these late West Coast ones, appreciate you guys listening along. Like I alluded to in the last segment, the Pirates are currently 40 and 48. Two big games to, to finish off with. There's a huge difference between going into the break 42 and 48, for example, or 40 and 50. 40 and 50 is a kind of ugly number. That's something that projects to 70-something wins and not really doing what they need to do after that 20 and 8 start. If they go into the all-star break with only 40 wins, which they basically are, you know, within arm's length if they don't, and half of those wins being in April and then the other half being, you know, ever since then, it shows that this has been a rough couple months. And what could have been something that going into the year, I know I've made this point several times on this podcast, if this team going into the year, 
you would have known, hey, they're 40 and 48, you know, nothing about the year. would be like, yeah, well, that's a step forward. But just the tooth pulling, excruciating way to get there, it kind of takes any of the, well, that's progress angle out of it. Because we're all tired of hearing of what happened in April. You know what happened in April? They played their best baseball. You know what's happened since then? They haven't. And if this whole thing is to get better and to improve, not really the case, you know, these last couple of months on a macro scale, the individuals can have improved aspects of the game and team can't have, but like in terms of wins and losses, they certainly have not. So what constitutes a successful second half of the 2023 season? I wish I had a good answer for this because I don't want to just say like, oh, it's 75 wins because I don't think you you could attach a number to it because we just saw this team win 40 in the most bonkers way possible. You know, to get to this point, just, you know, peaks and valleys throughout all of it. So I don't know if you can say, okay, if they win 75 or even 82 games or whatever, that's a successful second half of the season if they can get up to that 500 or so. I, I think that's kind of stretching it. I, and I don't think that's something that you can really say there. I, I look at it very individually. I'm going to focus just here on a couple of players real fast. I look at Rowanzi Contreras. I look at Luis Ortiz. I look at Rodolfo Castro. I look at Henry Davis. I look at Nick Gonzalez. I look at Jared Triolo. I look at Quinn Priester and Andy Rodriguez whenever they inevitably do come up. And I monitor those young players that mean so much for this organization going forward and find out who are the people that you could count on going forward. Who are the people that are going to actually be part of this organization that whatever we're all projecting the 2024 Pittsburgh Pirates to be like, well, of course you have to have Rodolfo Castro in there. Did you see how he played the second half of the season? He has not looked good for weeks, months at this point. He needs a hard reset. Whatever he's doing, it's not going well at the moment. Actually, even beyond the moment, the last couple weeks, months, like I said, this hasn't been a good year for him. Henry Davis, Nick Gonzalez. Last year, we saw so many of those young players come up and struggle whenever they come up to the major leagues initially. Davis and Gonzalez have held held their own. They've actually done more than that. They've done quite well. Same with Jared Triolo. Maybe he doesn't have quite the OPS, but he's having long at-bats. He's putting together good swings. He's getting on base at a decent clip. Are those guys going to continue to improve? Are they? Is this team going to be in position in 2024 that they have the players, the core that they need, that they can build and make free agent moves, not just because we need first baseman, we need a pitcher, we need another pitcher, we need this. But instead, the Pirates could take a, we need to take the next step of playoff team. That is the big thing right there. You, gotta have a cer- you have to have a certain amount of young players ready to go that have shown even if it's in a brief sample size in some of these cases of like three or four months that you can handle the major leagues, that you can handle, you know, the challenges that come with it and can improve in 2024. 
because 2024 is shaping up to be a very important year in this rebuild for this organization. It's year four of this, of this, of the Ben Sherrington, Derek Shelton era. Year five needs to show something better. If it's a five-year plan, no one has explicitly said five-year plan, just to be clear, but that's the old baseball adage. If that's the point, well, it's almost year five. And year four haven't been sped up as, as much as they could be. This would be very different if they would have won even five more games over the course. Like if they could have just snatched one more win every month or so. Or two more wins, you know, during these lean months. It'd be huge if they were able to go into, you know, this into the all-star break 500 or better instead of eight games under. I think that would have gone a long way in terms of the, the rebuild is on the right path. It has taken a huge step forward. You can maybe add at the trade deadline instead of right now where it kind of looks like unless things get better fast, they're probably going to be selling the guys on Excel on expiring contracts, Kutch, you know, being the exception. So we're going to find out focus has to be, do you have enough young players in place? that you can seriously make moves this offseason to compete for 2024. That constitutes a successful second half of the season. And yeah, wins have to come with that. I'm not saying they have those guys and they lose 100 games again and that's a successful second half. God, no. No, they're past that. They need to also finish with 70-something at the minimum wins you know, in this equation also. But that should come organically as they get more consistent contributions from these young players. So... Very interesting second half of this season. And I think, <laughs> look, if they finish with 70, if they play 500 ball the second half of the season, I think people are going to look a lot more optimistically at, at 2024 and, you know, fondly at what they were able to do this year. If it's another two months of what we've seen the last two months, I, I think it's going to be a very different story. We're going to take a break. We got a couple comments here from you guys. We're going to read through them for the final segment. to the Pirates podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Got a couple questions here from you guys here late. Uh, Josh Reich, it feels like a lot of the hitting has regressed as the year has gone on. Uh, does that fall on Haynes or is it on the players? I talked to Andy Haynes actually today. Uh, some of it's up already in the live feed on the site if you want to check it out. Uh, more of it's going to be coming out in Mountain Visit, but hey, look. The answer to your question is both. Like Andy Haynes can't step into the box and swing at a pitch. Hitters need instruction. It's, 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 a fair, it's fair to say that it's both. I don't want to assign more blame to one or the other. Offense has kind of looked good, you know, the last week and a half or so. Like maybe they are playing better. Like they were held to three runs on a – on Friday, but that was also Zach Gallon on the mountain, and Zach Gallon is one of the best pitchers in the National League. So, uh, Hillbilly Jim puts in, I'd put Wilker on the trading block too. 
He also suggests row row's not going to happen. You don't you don't sell low on row. That that's just too he's too important before right now. Uh, as bad as it is right now, Crow I, that'd also be selling low at this point. I think Will Crow. I think even the people who are bullish on him just kind of see him as a middle reliever at this point. You know, at best, long long relief type of guy. You're not going to get a whole lot of trade package in that. You know, especially you know this year, whenever he's been hurt most of the year. So, uh, Connor Williams does Rodolfo's disintegration mind you at all at Diego Castillo's at all very different talent levels both regressed in very similar ways Castro's I can't the playing time has to be part of this equation here I think switch hitting is part of the equation here and here I'm going to drop this tidbit later but thank you all for listening so you get this here Uh, Pirates have considered at multiple times this year having them ditch uh, switch hitting and just swing right-handed. So that's something that I think, in my opinion, would possibly do uh, him good, you know, just to simplify, to focus on one side of the swing. Maybe that gets him into the lineup, you know, more. There are inconsistencies with playing time. There's inconsistencies with his swing, with his mechanics. There's a lot going on. Uh, Diego Castillo, I, I liked Diego, but I think once he did become like a backup, he really didn't do well without, you know, any sort of traditional role. And yeah, I think it's fair. He also was basically used as a platoon for a while. And that's, that's basically what we've seen from Rodolfo Castro. I mean, it's obviously not an intentional thing or anything, but whenever you have young players trying to get a hold of, you know, the major league game, consistent playing time is part of that. And I, and I do agree with uh, Hillbilly Jim here to close. I haven't given up on Castro. I, I wonder if maybe a, a trip to the minor leagues to get things right is the best thing for him. I, I, it's, I haven't given up on him, but like it, this has been a very bad year and he's looked lost and I don't know how, how it's really servicing him or the team you know, at, at the moment outside of he's a middle infielder and the team needs infielders at the moment. So we're going to call right there. That, that Castro stuff's going to come out, you know, soon a little bit, but just a little present for you guys for listening and for staying up late with me. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts here. Uh, we'll talk again next week.